Thank you for watching NTD Business. Coming up tonight, the Senate passes a bill in a rush to prevent a potentially devastating railroad shutdown. It had bipartisan support. New data out today shows inflation remains high, although its increase has slowed. Will it ever come down to where the Fed wants it? We have analysis from an industry veteran. And storm clouds rolling over the crypto industry as government officials discuss the need for comprehensive regulation. We bring you the highlights from this morning's FTX hearing. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Don Ma here. Breaking news. This afternoon, the potentially devastating railroad strike was averted. The U.S. Senate today approved legislation to avoid a rail shutdown. The legislation received bipartisan support. President Biden has said he will sign the bill after it reaches his desk. The House passed the bill yesterday. The agreement includes a 24% pay hike over five years and five $1,000 payments. The Senate earlier defeated a bid to require railroads to offer workers seven days of paid sick leave. And former FTX CEO Sam Bankman-Fried, who was once one of the richest men in the world, says he has $100,000 left in his bank account after his company plunged into bankruptcy. Just months ago, his wealth was estimated to be around $26 billion. Here's the story. I mean, look, I've had a bad month. Disgraced FTX founder and ex-CEO Sam Bankman-Fried speaking out on camera for the first time since he resigned after the implosion of his multi-billion dollar empire. I'm down to, uh, I think I have one working credit card left. I think it it might be $100,000 or something like that. Bankman-Fried, who was known as crypto's white knight, sitting for a wide-ranging interview at the New York Uh, Times Dealbook Summit, speaking about FTX's liquidity crisis and bankruptcy filing. I didn't ever uh, try to commit fraud on anyone. The collapse of FTX is under civil and federal investigations into whether FTX misappropriated customers' funds when it made loans to his hedge fund, Alameda Research. Bankman-Fried addressing this. I didn't knowingly commingle funds. I was frankly surprised by how big Alameda's position was. Bankman-Fried now acknowledging the lack of corporate controls and risk management within the businesses he oversaw. Look, I screwed up. Like, I was CEO. I, I was the CEO of FTX. And I mean, I would say this again and again, that that means I had a responsibility. That means that I was responsible, ultimately. There was no person who was chiefly in charge of positional risk of customers on FTX. And that feels pretty embarrassing in retrospect. FTX, which was once marketed as an easy way for people to get into crypto using star athletes like Tom Brady, Naomi Osaka, and Steph Curry, and even a Super Bowl ad with Larry David to amplify the platform. Edison, can I be honest with you? It stinks. Now its customers don't know how much, if anything, they'll be able to get back. In his interview Wednesday, Bankman Freed was asked about whether his lawyers were encouraging him to speak out. He said, quote, they're very much not, but added that he has a duty to explain what happened. And comprehensive regulation is likely coming to the crypto industry. This morning, the Senate held a hearing on the fall of FTX. It was formerly a major crypto exchange valued at $32 billion. Then, overnight, it was worth nothing. 
No one has a full understanding of what really happened just yet, but based on the latest information, it seems that FTX and its founder, Sam Bankman-Fried, were using customers' money to fund risky bets. Anonymous sources who claim to be familiar with the matter say $1 to $2 billion could be missing. Millions of people who had their money in FTX may never get it back. So politicians and regulators are now investigating, and this morning's Senate hearing is one step. Some key themes of the hearing include cryptocurrency being a threat to national security, how regulation always comes after people lose their money, and a lack of regulation in general in the, in the crypto space. Senator Debbie Stabnos says FTX was emboldened by that lack of regulation. At best, these events uncovered an alarming lack of internal controls and egregious governance failures. At worst, Sam Bankman-Fried and his inner circle lied to and stole from over one million customers, some of whom have lost their life savings. The agency that's likely going to regulate crypto is the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, or CFTC. It's kind of like the sister organization of the SEC. CFTC Chairman Rustin Benham, a Biden appointee, says the priority should be to protect customer money and maintain stable markets. He believes comprehensive market regulation is the answer. In ensuring that there are no conflicts of interest and that an individual entity cannot wear you know, multiple hats offering different services to the same customer, making sure that money is not commingled between house and customers as well, and having books and records to examine, being able to audit financial statements, having disclosures for customers. These are, these are core elements that have served U.S. markets, U.S. derivatives markets so well for decades. Senator Tommy Tuberville brought up FTX's ESG ratings. Now, before we show you what he said, let me just explain that. ESG stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. It's a way of sort of evaluating how a company impacts the environment and society as well as how well it governs. Now, after Sam Bankman-Fried resigned as CEO, he was replaced by John Ray III, who oversaw the liquidation of Enron after its famous fraud scandal. Regarding FTX, John Ray says he, he's never seen in his entire career such a complete fail, failure of corporate controls and such a complete absence of trustworthy financial information. Ray said it was unprecedented. Now, going back to the, to the hearing. You know, these major environmental social governance, ESG, uh, ratings companies gave FTX high marks, very high marks for corporate governance. We have since learned that the exact opposite was true. Should this be in some kind of bill that we do with crypto? To the extent that the issue you raise is a significant problem and one that crypto firms are getting ESG-related ratings, then I think it's something that we should talk about further. This may suggest that not only cryptocurrency, but even ESG ratings could receive more future government regulation. Senator Dick Durbin brought up the fact that Sam Bankman-Fried is a huge political donor. Fried was the second biggest donor to Democrats behind only George Soros. It should be noted by all the members on this committee, there'll be a reporter waiting in the hall, I've already talked to her this morning, who will ask you, did he ever contribute to your campaign? I said, oh, no, I never heard of the man. She said, you're wrong, Senator, he contributed to you. So the cryptocurrency people are active politically. 
uh, and they are trying to achieve a political end here. And Congress has full power over how much the CFTC is funded. The CFTC now, mind you, is the organization that may be regulating crypto. So the fact that crypto businessmen are giving billions to politicians in Congress may create a conflict of interest. No solution, though, was given during the hearing. Mr. Bankman Freed, my contributor, uh, and people just like him are going to be spending a lot of money to make sure there's as little regulation as possible. And unfortunately, you are a captive of a process that is driven by politicians like myself. CFTC Chairman Rostin Benham is urging Congress to act fast. This involves creating a regulatory framework as well as giving him more regulatory power over markets. And moving on, Elon Musk tweeted yesterday that the misunderstanding about Twitter being removed from Apple's App Store has, has been resolved. This following his meeting with Apple's CEO, Tim Cook. Musk wrote the two had a good conversation and that Cook was clear that Apple never considered removing Twitter. Musk tweeted a thank you to the Apple CEO for showing him around Apple's headquarters. Musk had, had accused Apple of threatening to block Twitter from its app store without saying why in a series of tweets. He also said it had stopped advertising on the social media platform. He later tagged Cook's Twitter account in another tweet asking, What's going on here? And Elon Musk isn't the only tech giant CEO who has expressed the opinion that Apple's App Store could be too powerful. Mark Zuckerberg has recently made similar public comments. NTD Shar Marshall has more. Does Apple have too much power with their App Store? Or is it just the effect of successfully running a business? Mark Zuckerberg doesn't think Apple's App Store policies are sustainable. He had this to say at the New York Times Deal Book Summit on Wednesday. I, I do think Apple has sort of singled themselves out as the only company that is trying to control, um, like unilaterally, what, what apps get on a device. Elon Musk has posted many of his thoughts about Apple on his own social media platform, Twitter. Among the list of grievances he tweeted on Monday was the up to 30% fee Apple charges on software developers for in-app purchases. Musk posted a meme suggesting he was willing to go to war with Apple rather than pay the commission. I spoke with tech expert Burton Kelso how a war between Musk and Apple would play out. <laughs> I think Elon would definitely lose that war. Apple just has too much uh, customer loyalty when it comes to their products. I mean, you've got people that wait in line for Apple devices. And although Elon does have a lot of playing power, uh, Apple definitely is a tech giant as far as personal devices are concerned, so it would not end well for Elon Musk. After Musk met with Apple chief executive Tim Cook on Wednesday, Musk tweeted that they resolved the misunderstanding about Twitter potentially being removed from the App Store. There were some interesting tweets during the time when Musk almost went to war with Apple. One was a poll asking if Apple should publish all censorship actions it has taken that affect its customers. I asked Kelso for his view on that question. So I'm kind of on the fence as far as that's concerned because I know Apple's not doing anything to keep information from the general public, but at the same time, a lot of tech companies don't share what information they're censoring. So it would be a good gesture on Apple's part to go ahead and do so just to give people peace of mind. Apple must be doing something, right? Google Play's App Store has more apps available than Apple's App Store by almost three to one, according to Statista. 
But Apple takes the lead in third quarter revenue with $21.2 billion compared to Google Play's $10.4 billion. Sean Marshall, NTD News. And headline PCE price index was up 0.3% for the month and 6% annually. The monthly increase, same as September. Annual increase, down three-tenths of a percent. The core PCE price index increased 0.2% for the month and was up 5% from a year ago. The increase both monthly and year-over-year eased a bit compared to before. The core PCE price index excludes food and energy and is the Fed's preferred inflation gauge. And now joining me to talk about today's report is Ted Oakley. He's the managing partner of Oxbow Advisors. He has more than 40 years of experience in the investment industry. So now, Ted, the new PCE price index shows month-over-month easing a bit. And, you know, this combined with the CPI data, which also went down month-over-month, this surely is, is a sign that inflation, inflation might be easing a bit, right? Stabilizing? Well, Don, I think so, uh, to a degree. You know, I think people, though, are wishing and hoping a bit too much because it'll be longer drawn out than they would expect. But, you know, it, it's just like Powell said yesterday, uh, you know, they're going to maybe moderate the size of the increase, but I don't know that they would moderate the length of the increase in terms of how long they would go with it. But it's it's better, yeah. I mean, it's not terrifically better. You know, you're still at a 6% PCE for the year. Uh, CPI is still over 75 I mean, it's not, we're not back to 2%, I'll put it that way. You know, the way I see it, perhaps the impacts of the past hikes are still playing out. So also today, Atlanta Fed cut its GDP growth estimate for Q4. What do you see the chances of a recession possibly in 2023? You know, Don, I'm not too good at uh, at odds, uh, and I'm, I'm not even a really very good card player. But I would say in 23, I suspect it's a very high percentage chance that we're going to have a recession. I mean, if you look at the things that, that front run a recession right now and the things that have been in the past, and I've watched a lot of them, they're all in place right now for a recession next year, probably one or two quarters at least. So we're, we're talking about a possible recession. Then do you think by 2023 we could get to the Fed's 2% target for inflation? Don, I really don't. I don't think there's – I don't think – I'm not certain we'll ever go back to 2%. Uh, now, I could see them doing something where they decide they're going to have a due benchmark and say, well, well, let's just change it. We're going to go to three or four, maybe, or three or three and a half. To go back to two would really take us back to the period of the 70s when you had boom, bust, boom, bust, boom, bust. That's what happened then. I don't. I think they, to a degree, they learned a bit of a lesson here that they can't go back and just throw all this money back in again and expect us not to be in another cycle high coming out of that. So. I suspect that we'll level off somewhere between, you know, three and a half and five probably uh, next year, which is still not two, but I'm not certain we'll ever get back to two. You know, you know, the Fed really put out a message that they're determined to get it down to two percent. Why would they just change change their tone? Well, Don, I hate to sound so cynical here, but. Um, They've never really told you the truth. I mean, if I look back at all the Fed presidents we've had since Greenspan, I mean, they'll say one thing and do another. 
I mean, and I can give you plenty of examples of that, but I'll just take one in April where they said, hey, we'll never raise the rates by three quarters, three quarters of a point. Uh, and, and that went out the window in about two or three months. But that, that's meaningless, really. I think you have a lot of PhDs in that group, but they, they have very, they not, their knowledge of, of Main Street is very low. And so um, they're going to probably learn a hard lesson, which is more than likely you don't get it back to two. But I, I you know, if you look at the, the group of Fed governors that we have, I mean, very few of them have been on Main Street. Most of them have been in the system most of their time. And, uh, and you think about it, the last really 40 years, they've really 38 to 40. They never experienced higher rates, so I'm not certain they know what they're doing. Hmm. All right. Just one last thing then, Ted. What's your advice to investors? Well, I think one of the good things about this higher rates, Don, is that savings is back. You know, you can put some money away now for, you know, in the one-year treasury at a 4, 470, 465 uh, percent. You can, we own probably just a little less than a billion dollars worth probably of the floating rate U.S. treasury which is basically doesn't fluctuate in price. It's based on the 90-day rate. It's about a 425, 430 now. Great yield for these things like that. I think people need to look at things like that. I, I really think they're trying to catch the low in the market and they're trying to catch the high in interest rates, which they may catch that. But to us, this is the spot that we were in in late 2000, the same way where, um, and similar to where we were, if you want to know, in August of 87, where people think that, you know, you start breaking down a little bit. We had a big sell-off in, in uh, late August, and it rallied back a little bit in September of 87, I remember. But everybody thinks that's the low, same way in, in the late 2000. So they keep pushing money in, and not, they don't realize, but the next leg is the bad leg. And we think that's still to come. Well, all right. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure to talk to you, Ted. You bet. Thanks, Don. The House Ways and Means Committee received six years of Donald Trump's federal tax returns Wednesday. The Treasury Department confirms it's complied with a court-approved order to release the returns after the Supreme Court refused to stop it last week. Congressman Richard Neal, chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, says Democrats will meet as a caucus to discuss next steps. Trump and his lawyers have argued the bid to get the records was politically motivated. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said today Democrats might release the returns to the public. She said, quote, I would hope that the public would have the opportunity to see. But then again, she said it will be up to Neal's committee. President Biden's student loan cancellation plan hit a major roadblock yesterday. A U.S. appeals court rejected the administration's bid to revive the plan. A federal judge in Texas struck the plan down in mid-November. He ruled the plan unlawful. The decision was one of two nationally that is preventing the Department of Education from moving forward. Biden promised to grant debt relief to millions of student borrowers. The White House had no immediate comment on yesterday's ruling. But the administration has said in the past they will ask the U.S. Supreme Court to intervene. Short break now, but if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at business at ntd.com. After the break, Giving Tuesday raises a record amount for charities despite the tough economic year. How much more did people donate this year? 
and demand for non-alcoholic drinks is on the rise. Even the French, who are known for their wine, are experimenting with alcohol-free options. That and more coming up on NTD Business. And welcome back. Giving Tuesday raised a record $3.1 billion in 24 hours for charitable causes in the U.S. earlier this week. Despite a year that has seen a struggling economy and sky-high inflation, people are still willing to donate to good causes, it seems like. Giving Tuesday estimated that donations increased about 15% from last year. The hashtag to promote fundraising on the Tuesday after Thanksgiving started in 2012. Giving Tuesday became an independent nonprofit in 2020. The organization has also launched a campaign to raise $26 million over five years. The goal is to expand the group's database of giving. And Justin Bieber is on a mission to make the world's drinking water more sustainable. He's teamed up with bottled water brand Generosity to create a water technology company. It's going to provide premium drinking water in refillable fountains worldwide. Generosity showcased 150 of the fountains this month at the FIFA World Cup in Qatar. Bieber says he not only wants to provide the world with the best water, but also wants to reduce the overuse of plastic. Generosity can connect to any water source. The company says it will be found commercially and in homes next year. And when pandemic lockdowns kept the French indoors, some looked for non-alcoholic beverages. Two years later, demand is increasing. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more. Frenchman Augustine Laborde stopped drinking alcohol during the COVID-19 lockdowns, but he struggled to find non-alcoholic beverages in Paris. Two years later, he opened what he says is the first alcohol-free wine and liquor store in France, a country renowned for its wine. I had the idea of opening an alcohol-free wine and liquor store in 2020 during the first lockdown. I stopped drinking alcohol and the idea appeared when I realized there was no physical store specializing in this kind of drink. Then it took roughly two years to find the products, the financing and the place and open the shop. France is the second largest consumer of wine in the world and non-alcoholic beverages have lagged behind other markets worldwide, but there's still growing demand. We are opening a market. We are testing things. Every week, we reorder the shelves. We introduce new products to see what the trends are. So we have not reached our financial objectives yet, but we are very happy about opening the business and especially the customer's feedback. We really feel that we are responding to a very strong demand, and that's encouraging for what comes next. According to figures from consultancy group IWSR Drinks Market Analysis, the non-alcoholic wine market grew 24% worldwide in 2021, but consumption in France grew by just 4%. Even so, attitudes are changing. It's really good, and it reminds me of the memory I have of champagne, which I can't drink anymore. Customers in Augustine Laborde's shop are trying something new. One tried a glass of alcohol-free red wine. It really smells like wine. It smells like wine. The taste of wine isn't there, but it has tennis, which is quite surprising. I don't always feel like drinking wine. I don't always want to drink alcohol, actually. But I still want something that is a bit festive, 
So this is a good compromise. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. And that's all the stories from the NTD business team and myself, Don Ma. Please follow me on Twitter if you're there. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at business at NTD.com. That's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.